The Salvation of the Soul. We'll be looking at the meaning of these two words today, soul and salvation. The Bible tells us that as human beings, we have a body and a soul and a spirit. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, May your spirit and soul and body be kept strong and blameless. Our soul sits between our spirit and our body. It receives information from our spirit through our conscience and intuition, which informs our soul about what is happening in our inner world. The soul also receives information from our body's five senses, which informs it about what is happening in our outer world. The soul processes each of these areas of information through its three modes of activity, which are the mind, the emotions, and the will. The mind receives information and orders it according to what it ranks as being of value to our life. The emotions, or feelings, react or respond to information as to whether it's helpful or harmful. The will finally decides how to act upon the information when it has evaluated what the mind has considered and how the emotions and feelings move it one way or the other. So that is the soul in between the spirit and the body receiving information and then expressing or ordering that information as it is expressed. Now, our area of focus today concerning the salvation of the soul is about how our soul responds to the inner world of our life in the spirit. That's the part we'll be focusing upon, our spiritual inner life in the saving of the soul. And this is where the soul actually relates to the two different worlds of our inner spiritual life. And they are, number one, the natural human spirit. And then secondly, there's the human spirit that is joined by faith to God's spirit. Now, all of us have a human spirit that was created in the image of God before the foundation of the world. And that's in Ephesians chapter one. And that is the reality of the inner world of humanity since Adam. It's perhaps the most vulnerable part of our being and it's open to being wounded and isolated and feeling deprived. It can see itself in a place of not having, even when it is in a place of relative plenty. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. They had all that they needed, but they were told there's something you don't have. And that thought snuck in to the human spirit. And now this human spirit that is there in the inner world of humanity since Adam, yearns for fulfilment. And God knows this. And so does the devil. And that's where we are focusing today on how this becomes a reality of God with us. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on humanity on the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit was made available to be joined to our human spirit. Our faith brings into being our new inner world reality of God with us. You read that in Acts 2 verse 16. And this soul of ours 
is the critical measure of who we will come to be during this life of ours. That's what the soul is. The person that will give an account of itself on the day of judgment before God. It will either struggle through life following its own choices as to how to have the needs and the demands of its own vulnerable human spirit met and perhaps doing its best to take on this world, but also in so many ways being overcome by its chaos and disorder. Or this soul of ours will be found of God and transformed and have its mind reordered and renewed, its emotions healed and restored, and its will subdued into harmony with God by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we can really call salvation, the salvation of the soul. As afflictions and burdens weary the mind and body, and the soul follows a a weakening will, looking for rest, from right on through the time, spirit of humanity in its mind separated itself from that walking with God in the garden. But as the afflictions that come upon the mind and the body, either there in the middle, the soul follows a will that gets weaker through the weariness, looking for rest. God waits to heal and to save the soul. And he says to us in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. When the Apostle Peter writes to the Christians, he tells them what the good news is all about, the gospel of the salvation of our lives. He speaks about the faith and grace that has come to us that was not available to God's people in the Old Testament. He tells them, the Christians that he's writing to, that the prophets told God's people that something wonderful was coming one day, but that even the prophets who proclaimed it did not understand when and how it would happen. He was talking about the salvation of our souls. Let me read it to you in 1 Peter 1.8. Though even now you don't see him, yet you believe and you rejoice with an inexpressible joy receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. This salvation was something the prophets did not fully understand. And even though they wrote about this grace that would come to you, they had many questions as to what it all could mean. These things have now been revealed to you by the preaching of this good news through the Holy Spirit, things which angels also long to look into. So what did the prophets say? Well, Let us look at what Isaiah said. He talks about the pain and the suffering and grief that Jesus went through when he overcame the world that he was born into, the world of chaos and disorder. He tells us what this suffering saviour would do for humanity. He would heal the inner life of humanity by restoring our peace, carrying our griefs and sorrows and forgiving our sins. So we go to Isaiah 53 that speaks about the suffering Saviour, Jesus. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. By his wounds we are made whole and strengthened. And then further on in his next epistle, Peter actually repeats what Isaiah the prophet said. We read in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, He himself carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes you have been healed. That means by his wounds. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and carer of your souls. So what is being healed here? Well, we see it. There's the guilt and the shame. That means dying to sin and being able to live with God, aligned with him. There's also the straying like sheep, being lost, feeling lost and uncared for but now returning to the shepherd and carer of our soul. So this is speaking about our soul, the inner life. This gives new meaning also to the phrase, saving the lost. This is the salvation of the soul. Now healing for the body, which is also contained in the work of Jesus on the cross, is a different matter. Physical healing is always a separate act of grace and faith in us, and it occurs by the sovereign will of God. Let me read to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, about the gifts of the Spirit of God, the power and the anointing that comes upon people who believe. To one is given faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, who apportions to each one accordingly. That word accordingly is kathos, K-A-T-H-O-S, which means as to how and when and as he wills. So he apportions to each one accordingly as he wills, as to the how and the when. And that word wills means as God intends to do. This means that healing of the body is always a sovereign act of God. Even though in his sovereignty he allows us to be partners with him in these acts of grace by our faith. This is so that we can be used of God to bring healing to others. We're talking about physical healing now. As distinct from the salvation of the soul or the healing of the soul. Now we can obviously acknowledge that God also heals people with such sovereignty that they're healed without any human participation at all. But here we are looking at us as believers with gifts that can be operated by all of us. And there are some who have been notable in the use of these Holy Spirit anointings. You see so much of it in the book of Acts and we can see it today as the gifts of the Spirit operate as they are submitted to God. Because it's clear that the supernatural act of grace is always at the disposal of the will of the Holy Spirit, as he wills. This means that these gifts operate with the same surrendered heart of submission that Jesus had, just as he said 
in John 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I determine what to do, and my judgment is right, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, when that is a prayer of surrender, the anointing will become a witness in the spirit of those who are operating in these areas of the spiritual anointing. There'll be a sense of peace, a witness. There will be a release of true faith that changes things, that is creative. Now, I want to look at this word salvation, because we're talking about the salvation of the soul. The original Greek scriptures were written in pure colloquial Greek. But our English Bible developed very differently and was not presented in simple colloquial English when it at last began to be read by Christians around the time of the Reformation. So if you just let me divert here and explain how we ended up getting this word salvation, because I'm talking about the salvation of the soul. Many of the important doctrinal terms that we have in our Bible were words adopted from Latin that was adopted from Greek, then translated back into difficult English along the way, and then finally into the cherished poetic prose of the King James Bible, which was able to be read, basically was able to be read by anybody. Prior to those times, only priests and monks read the Latin Bible. So we had pure Greek with the church fathers, that was Athanasius and Irenaeus, through till 380 AD. That's only 400 years of just pure Greek where the scriptures were studied. And then St. Jerome translated the Greek Bible into Latin. And that went for a thousand years and dominated most of Christendom right up to the Reformation in 1517 AD. Along the way, there was an awkward Anglo-Saxon version of the Bible, the old ye old English, 680 to 900 AD. Then came the English Wycliffe translation in 1380 AD. And then the English Tyndale version, in 1526. And Tyndale was the first one to use the word salvation in the English scriptures. And he used it only once in John 4, verse 22, when he said, For salvation cometh of the Jews. And that was around the time of the Reformation. For a thousand years, the Latin Jerome version used the Latin word salut, S-A-L-U-T, which meant health, as in drinking a toast, good health, salut. This word salut, or salut, which meant health or healing, became the word that we would eventually read as salvation in our English King James Version. The original Greek word we now call salvation is sozo, which had the meaning of being healed and to be made safe and made whole. After the fine, robust old English word health dropped out, 
after Wycliffe and Tyndale, and was actually displaced by an imported and now most important Latin word, salvation, from the Latin salute. And it was then that the whole world, as I said before, the whole world of Christianity could at last read. But that most important Latin word, salvation, came to mostly mean going to heaven for any struggling human being that had a good conscience. It was extremely important to know what it meant to be saved. But what did it mean to be saved? It was meant, salvation or being made whole, was meant to be a present experience of the spiritual reality of the healing and wholeness of a new creation life that comes from the forgiveness of sin and the joining of God's Spirit to ours through the Holy Spirit, as well as going to heaven. So the problem is, what does it mean? The Greek is much clearer and simpler. So let's look at the salvation, the saving and the restoration and healing of the soul. We saw in the scripture of Isaiah about Jesus suffering and being wounded for our healing and being returned to the shepherd and carer of our souls. Once I was lost, now I'm found. And we saw how Peter repeated that scripture in the New Testament concerning the saving of our souls. So how is this good news of healing and saving experienced by us in our everyday lives? How do we live it out? Our souls are constantly being buffeted by the adversities and the contradictions of life generally. And these experiences cause us emotional suffering and feelings of grief and loss that can overwhelm us and rob us of our peace and take away our hope. A constant bombardment of bad news that circulates in today's global community can affect our souls massively. This has become a kind of negative consciousness that hangs over everybody. Now, where can people find that sense of certainty and confidence and hope, especially in the kind of days in which we live? It comes by our growing in faith, that faith that trusts in a merciful God, the God who is God with us and inspiring us by his spirit to live out that godly, healed and saved life. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he urges them to take this healed and saved life seriously as an awesome responsibility. He tells them, he wrote in Greek, but it comes out in our English versions of the day, he tells them, live out your salvation, sozo, with awesome fear and respect, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do what his good will desires for you. That's in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Our will can be healed and saved as he puts his desires in our hearts and transforms our willfulness, our struggling willfulness, into a peaceful willingness. Our mind can be renewed and reordered by receiving not just knowledge about God, 
but by receiving spiritual truth from God, by the Holy Spirit, who is joined to our spirit. It says in the Psalms, David says, My people shall be willing in the day of my power. Our emotions can be healed, saved, as God's love comforts and encourages our hearts to be hearts of faith, which is then able to express the love and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit and to express the kingdom of God within us to a world that is invited into that kingdom. In Romans 14 verse 17 it says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and allowing us to be instruments of the expression of your saving grace to transform the lives of those people in our world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.